There's a place beyond the normal, out past the hustle and bustle of city life, away from all the bad air, poor folks, and disease. It's a place where respectable folks with respectable amounts of money can come and sweat the blues away. A place called Warm Springs. Since the turn of the 19th century, Georgia's wealthiest citizens have sheltered themselves from yellow fever, diphtheria, and the stomach churn inside of the working poor. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a man straight from the heart of America's patrician class, Mr. Roosevelt. I find that whenever one feels blue, one should do as I do. Build yourself a house in another state and then send everything you own by train. Life's simple pleasures. So come to Warm Springs, where the only thing for is your health. Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History. For people who can't afford Hamilton. Today, the exciting conclusion of our special episode, Pandemic Democracy. We have the pleasure of another historian to add to our milieu of scholars and all things presidential. Gives us a little more credibility than we yeah. have otherwise. So Mr. McRae, sign in please. Can you introduce yourself? Good evening. Uh, my name is James McRae. I'm a 2011 graduate of Albion College, uh, where I majored in history. And for the past seven years, I've had the pleasure of teaching uh, social studies at Saranac Junior Senior High School in Saranac, Michigan. Great. So we were just talking a little bit about polio and coming off the Spanish flu. The fact that a couple of observations, one was that it's interesting that we know a lot more about polio as a disease culturally than we did the Spanish flu. We knew about treatments. We knew about money being raised to try to um, cure it. Uh, was it was, uh, of course, and, and, and secondly, that maybe, maybe, that was in part because, well, polio seemed to be, uh, seemed to affect people with money people in upper classes, led by, of course, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the, you know, the lead polio getter of, uh, <laughs> of the, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, so many firsts, and that's another one of his. Um, so this is where we were kind of talking a little bit about that, about where to, I mean, what, maybe to some extent why that happened, and was it simply a factor of, somebody as prominent as FDR getting it? Was it the fact that it is because people with money had it? I, I know that polio basically was a, a significant public health issue in the United States up through the, like the late 1950s when the yes. South vaccine becomes widespread. Um, and More on so, that later. <laughs> more on that later, which is, it was an incredible story. One of, one of the real, like, you know, if you're looking for, you know, real A1A bright stars in American history, the yeah. Salk vaccine and it, Treatment you know, of science. Yes. It, Except, tricky, of I course, think. when that one batch of the Salk vaccine gave about 200,000 people polio because it had been prepared incorrectly, but, you know, every silver lining. Stuff happens. Um, <laughs> that, that should be the beginning of every history class. Um, Literally, though. But, um... When did polio emerge as a public health issue? I believe it was right actually at the tail end of, like right at the 1920s, tail end of the Spanish flu epidemic. Yeah, there were outbreaks of polio. I think the first, one of the first most highly documented one was in a small town and not like some, not like some backwater, not like some dusty abandoned mining town, just a fairly African affluent, I almost said African and that makes no sense. <laughs> Fairly affluent small town in Texas. Like, yeah, right around the end of the Spanish flu. And there would be periodic outbreaks of it, you know, 
throughout, as you said, throughout the, you know, all the way through to the 1950s. So you kind of had a, a disease in polio that was this kind of slow rolling disease that extended as, as kind of in and out of the public consciousness over about a 30 year, 25 year period um, for which there, you know, there was no cure, um, no vaccine up, in, up until the latter period. But then you had the kind of existential horror of its treatment, which was you get put in an iron lung and that's mm -hmm. your day-to-day -day existence. Yep. Um, and in, in an era where, um, you know, you have mass media is really starting to kick out images Good and point. films of, you know, this is people's life. You know, I think that that becomes, you know, it just kind of becomes this kind of background anxiety that people have and, you know, they sought to educate themselves about it and how to avoid it. Um, I think the thing about the Spanish flu was it was horrible when it happened. And then, you know, three years later, for the most part, it goes away. And then I kind of think everyone's like, well, that was really horrible. Let's never talk about that again. And, you know, just kind of as a, you know, that, that trauma was not something that anybody wanted to relive. Um, and then it kind of just gets, you know, pushed aside. I think it'll be very interesting to see what the, kind of cultural reaction to COVID is once it subsides, I would not be in any way surprised if 2020 kind of becomes the year that people don't talk about in polite company in a few years. Well, that can be for any number of reasons, right? <laughs> yes. uh, COVID being, uh, being prominent, that, that's true. It's so interesting that you say that, James, because I think that's what we said or we talked about in, during when we were talking about the Spanish flu. Mm -hmm. that it was so deeply traumatic and it was such a scarring moment for the nation that we don't we never really talked about it as a nation until this moment when it became relevant of sorts and we were wondering too if it was just overshadowed by world war one I. I mean a flu is just not as sexy as a global war but so. they do but they do kind of fuse together and when you think about a lot of the, there was a lot of cultural shifting happening in the 1920s. Um, again, you know, great novels starting to starting to happen. The film industry really becoming this incredible, you know, becoming kind of being recognized as an art form. Radio, don't forget about radio. Yeah, radio. Yeah, radio beginning to happen. Abstract expressionism in, in painting. Um, you know, like the wasteland and, and just sort of just Ooh, the a lost lot generation. of, yeah, just a lot of sort of art forms that were sort of shattering and taking apart other art forms out of back to back shattering physical health traumas, not to mention the roaring twenties and, yeah. uh, and, and all of that. And um, prohibition. Mm-hmm. And in that, and, and like you say, FDR, and then you get polio, which again, like you say, it's, it's slow rolling. You have, and then you have someone in FDR, and you're right that because polio is chronic, and also because it's chronic, people have it for so long that people have to deal with it. And then you have this weird thing of this most important man in the world that has it, and everybody knows it, but it's over there. He got it before he became president. So when did FDR actually contract polio? Probably. Uh, 1921. Yeah, exactly. In 1921, the last pictures of an ambulatory FDR were taken at a Boy Scout jamboree yes. near his New York home in 1921. So he caught it from a Boy Scout and the fact that one of the main transmission vectors of polio is oral, fecal. We will just not, we will not talk about that. Not one bit. Just wash your hands. Name of FDR. What? No, we shall not, we shall not shame FDR. Not at all. Gosh, former Assistant Secretary of the Navy Roosevelt, it sure is an honor to have you drop by the New York State Boy Scout Jamboree of 1921. 
But I have to ask, why did you bring all these photographers with you? Why, for the publicity, Scoutmaster Jones. When I heard this assembly of apple-cheeked youth was convening near my mansion in Hyde Park, I lettered all the newspapers. Nothing could be better for my nascent political career than several pictures of me cavorting with young boys. Gee, if that's true, I'm going to be president someday. You're quite fortunate, Mr. Roosevelt. We almost canceled this jamboree for fear of the boys contracting polio. Polio, you say? <laughs> Why, I scoff at the very word. Do these boys practice good hygiene? Heck yes. I make sure they shower every day. And are these boys physically active? And how? Why, I have to practically tie them to their beds at night. Then there you have it. They need not fear disease. As we learned from the Spanish flu three years ago, disease is spread by dirt, lack of exercise, and immigrants. Soap and suburbia are the scourge of streptococci. Well, that's the funny thing about polio, Mr. Roosevelt. All of the outbreaks so far have occurred in small, isolated towns among middle and upper-class children. Well, then we must blame their parents for spoiling the little dears, making them weak and vulnerable to bacteria. Why can't affluent American families instill their children with the virtues of vigor and self-reliance, as exemplified by my Uncle Teddy? That man hated to be mollycoddled. Not in public, at least. But boy, was your Uncle Teddy a bull moose who carried a big stick. A fine fellow indeed, despite his unfortunate choice of political party. Disease was no match for my Uncle Teddy. As a boy, he licked asthma. Gosh, I wish I'd known him back then. Still, former Assistant Secretary of the Navy Roosevelt, even the manliest man needs rest and quiet now and then. If you don't mind my saying so, you look a little ragged. I'm not sure you could withstand the rigors of a Boy Scout march. Perhaps one of our lads can warm up a sleeping bag for you? Balder Dash! While it's true I've spent an exhausting summer in Washington hunting down degenerate sailors... Next time you might want to try Greenwich Village. I'm still young and healthy. The best tonic for me will be strapping young men. Do what, exactly? Um, I mean, if you insist, sir, but... For your own health, I recommend you keep a safe distance from the boys during the march. But I thought you said they were clean. Uh, yes, but some of them may be dirtier than you think. Bull hockey. Come on, boys. Let's show them that the only thing an American man needs is a stout heart and a sturdy pair of legs. <clears throat> the ants go marching one by one. A little closer, Sonny. Papa Roosevelt needs a photo op. Hurrah, hurrah. Well, this state shall live in infamy. I mean, we could always get a get a little preview. Uh, but actually, you know, my roommate and I have been discussing uh, pandemic. COVID, COVID is actually seems actually much more like polio than a lot of other uh, epidemic diseases because it seems like it's one of the ones uh, that is going to have the most long lasting effects after you after you've gone through the disease more so than a lot of the other. Uh, major pandemics and epidemics that we've gone through. I mean, smallpox. True. I mean, yes, smallpox will leave you, like, scarred and a little ravaged. Scarred and sterile. <clears throat> yeah, but but the thing the things they're saying about, like, the uh, long-term lung damage and uh, cognitive deficiencies that COVID will give you, uh, apparently. So as we get into world, so as we get through World War One, through World War Two, into the 20th century and sort of the American century, because Jonas Salk created the polio vaccine, vaccine USA, 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 um, this sense that technology and modern medicine can cure anything, um, and and a fair amount of trust that vaccines are generally pretty good. And then, Chelsea, and I hate to do this because you're <laughs> such a Michigan girl, but we get to 1976, and we get to a possible epidemic, and womp womp, good old Gerald Ford. Oh, by Gerald Ford, do you mean Leslie King? <laughs> who's Les? Who's Les? Oh, is that his real name? He changed his name from Leslie King to Gerald Ford? I yes. mean, it's a good change. It is a good change. Why are King looking go? at a graduate of the Albion College, Gerald R. Ford School for Public Policy <laughs> and Service. 
Uh, How did you stumble into that, Chelsea? <laughs> because I live in Michigan. Uh, one of uh, our director of the institute, one of his favorite jokes to tell, to the point that by senior year we were we would like we were so tired of it. Uh, he would always say, "Who is the only uh, American president who was also a king?" Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and who's the only president who was also a queen? Buchanan, but that's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, we don't know about good old Abe, but. So yeah. let's, so let's think of, so the, the, the swine flu, because I, I remember getting the uh, vaccination from that, these sort of aerated guns that were kind of cool when you were 12, <laughs> but turned into what was was the sense that it was always kind of an overreaction or was the sense that look there's no such thing as overreaction if you're looking at anything that could possibly be like the spanish flu i mean i think it depends i think some historians look at it as uh an overreaction but i feel like historians really like to look at everything in the 70s as an overreaction <laughs> It, nothing was that bad in the 70s. Well, except the well, family. You, I was going to say, you, didn't, you obviously never wore bell bottoms. Uh. <laughs> no, I've just read all of the books on the 70s, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> we can give you war stories. <laughs> um, so, the, so the swine flu also actually started in Kansas. Gosh, Kansas. What, enough. Is go what is the matter with Kansas? <laughs> We're going to find out that the coronavirus came from Kansas, aren't we? Oh, uh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> my apologies to all of my relatives in Kansas. Um, so, but yeah, so it's, it apparently starts there, or, or it, 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 it sort of focused there. And it, apparently there was some sort of sickness, but... It's happening in an election year. <laughs> Gerald Ford was not elected, was not even, you know, was not elected even as a vice president. Um, our least elected president. Our least elected, least elected president. Uh, no, I mean, Trump might be running for that, uh, well, that title. Someone out there voted for Trump. No right. one voted for Gerald. <laughs> I hear it. For poor Jer Jerry. Um... What do you, I mean, what do you know about, like, why, why, because he, he clearly decided we need to just stop, try to stop this before it, and, and, and it, and it turns in, it turns into a problem because then there's a vaccination which does cause other problems. Well, does, my hmm? favorite part about the vaccinations is so many of the major drug companies in the United States actually refused to sell doses of the vaccine to the government unless they were guaranteed a profit from the government. Did they get it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, America. $135 million for a swine flu program. So much for the, you know, altruism of a Jonas Salk. <laughs> so was this, was this after it was developed or like just after... Uh, in yeah. order to even develop the vaccine they wanted the guarantee. Yeah, I think it was after it was developed. Don't you just love how we pay we pay them to uh, develop stuff and then they charge us to give it's it back like to us? It's like a globalized version of that Indiana Jones intro where they're like, how about I sell you the antidote to the poison you just drank? <laughs> <laughs> but writ large. Well, also because, again, we're, we're already hearing about how lucky we may be if there's a vaccination for COVID by the end of 2020, the beginning of 2021. The swine, whatever they, I mean, it's almost like they, given how short it seemed, the time was between when they discovered they, this thing that they think could be a Spanish flu and the time they start throwing this thing out to grade schools across America like mine, we're, we're almost talking weeks. Yeah, it's months. It's like two months. Two months. So, I mean, did they literally, was it literally like, uh, yeah, this, this, you know, just grabbing a vial off the shelf and go, here, try this. This looks all right. 
you know, I honestly wouldn't doubt it only because like you said, Joe, there were so many issues with that vaccine that um, so many insurance insurers for drug manufacturers would not like extend liability coverage for mm. like negative effects. Betty, another glass of wine? Yeah, it's five o'clock somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, Jerry. Listen, I know it's been hard since Nixon made me president. <sighs> there must be something better you can do than sip the day away. My dear Gerald, I know you were put in an untenable position when Dick resigned. But your own election is a month away and you are polling behind a peanut farmer. Stop reminding me. So where's Dr. Kilborn? It's time for your flu We're all gonna die! Oh dear, another assassin! We are all going to die! Um, hi, Doc. <gasps> Mr. President, I was just on the phone with the Centers for Disease Control. You're my personal physician, Dr. Kilborn. Why There's were you- There's a new strain of the flu that may be related to the strain that triggered the Spanish flu outbreak of 1918! Yes, that business in Kansas. The swine but... flu! It's bad. Oh, we're all gonna die. Oh, not till I finish my wine. Sometimes you shouldn't believe what you read. Do you know how many stuff. people died during the Spanish flu epidemic? Do you? Do you? Okay, okay, calm down. But listen, listen, the CDC also said they have a vaccine that can stop the swine flu. What are you doing calling the CDC? Your friend is a little misinformed. The CDC is testing a vaccine. You're going to need to get this vaccine out to the country as quickly as you can. Doctor, Jerry is trying to tell you. Yeah, your vaccines, doctor, can take years to be ready. Years. Years? Years. Dr. Kilborn. We don't we... have years. You need a drink, Doc? I can get another glass. Ever since Dr. Salk showed what vaccines can do with his polio vaccine, we know science can protect us from these diseases before they overrun us. Okay, right. But when well, something's Dr. In... Salk's vaccine was not finished overnight. We, you, you should get the swine flu vaccine out right away. We can't risk hundreds of thousands of people being dead, can we? But if the vaccine isn't ready, it could cause more harm than What good. more harm could there be than death? <sighs> For those who stay alive, plenty. And you, you can get the first shot, Mr. President. What? Oh, for Remember the Spanish flu? I'm not that old. Woodrow Thank Wilson you. caught it, and then he caught a stroke, and then Woodrow Wilson died. Given what could happen to you, Mr. President, time is of the essence. Woodrow Wilson was dead, a Democrat. Dead, dead, dead. Thank you. You have a point. What? Thank you, Mr. President. Oh, for heaven's sake. Eddie, I don't want to be known as the president who slept while a horrible disease raged. With an unproven vaccine that could be worse than the slime flu itself? We need to stop it before Christmas or the only gift everyone will get is loved ones sick. Sick or dead? So, you want to run this vaccine out to the country in when? October? The election is in November, Jerry. You already have plenty of problems. I'm not thinking about the election, Betty. No shit. There are more th important things than an election, like stopping death! Your point of view is perfectly clear, Doctor. Do you want me to lose so badly you would delay stopping a dangerous disease? Or run a medicine into the world that doesn't work? Or, God forbid, causes its own sickness? Imagine what a bad vaccine could do to people. All that trust Dr. Salk earned would vanish. It could even make people think that vaccines would be more harmful than helpful, Jerry. Imagine what that country would look like. With all due respect, Mrs. Ford, I see you're holding a wine glass. How many glasses have you had today? Enough to see a stupid idea when it's in front of my glass. Betty, I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. So many people are angry at me over the Nixon part, and I doubt I'll win anyway. The least I can do is everything I can to stop a potential pandemic. I do love your naive optimism as much as I sigh at your horrible political instincts. So can we get this vaccine now? Now? Now! No. Let's get you protected! You'll set an example that will be remembered for decades. Let's do it. 
I'll get a shot right here in the White House. I'll even get the press to cover it so everyone who needs the vaccine can get it. Let's whip this thing now. Oh, thank you, Mr. President. You won't regret it. People won't die. And thank you, Betts. I know you're worried, but if we save one life, it'll be worth it. Hi. Just let me get my third... Your third glass? Oh, my third bottle. It's past two, after all. So when did they, when did they know that, they, that it was uh, as, ineffect, as ineffective and dangerous as it was? Pretty quickly. Yeah, really quick. Like people were at, like, it was a Guillain-Barre syndrome or something like that. There was a very specific reaction that, that more, and I think more people got the reaction than the, the swine flu itself, which, again, you know, there, it, there's a part of me that says this is sort of where the anti like the modern strain of anti-vaxxing could have gotten its roots. Um Having said that, though, is that fair? Has there always, I mean, again, going back to through American history, has there always been this suspicion of, well, medicine or vaccines? Not that, I mean, why would well, you? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, during the, the Gilded Age was one of the first periods when, like, you know, progressive reformers really tried to implement a large-scale mandatory vaccine program, and people hated it. They uh, there are a lot of records of uh, people, especially in in cities and tenements, uh, hiding their children in attics when the government vaccine men came along because they they were convinced that it was. Uh, I mean, pro- they probably weren't on the like, oh, it's going to give my kids autism and put a government chip in their head, uh, but yeah, just that it would probably kill the kids, <laughs> kill their and children, it, and, it's and not that like, it was the, it, yeah. and that it's a personal right to. Uh, you know, die of typhus. Well, I mean, even going back to like the beginning of our conversation with Abigail Adams vaccinating, quote unquote, her children, like so many people in Boston thought that that was crazy. Like, why would you willingly put that disease into your body? Uh, Catherine the Great had the same issue around the same time. Mm-hmm. She att- she also attempted to introduce virulation. Why injecting pus sounds like such fun. <laughs> fun and profit uh, <laughs> and of course it's not like oh indians or the black you know blacks would ever have to worry about medical experimentation yeah. happening by the government <laughs> the government uh, definitely isn't a fan of uh unwillingly using people for experimentation of any kind nah. or just giving them uh giving them medical procedures without telling them first mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know the the AIDS uh, epidemic is fascinating though because of the uh, public response of the uh, the community that was you know affected of uh, the way that you know people actively went and uh, petitioned and protested the CDC about it and you know the the ever the, the famous you know when I die leave my body at the CDC because uh, and actually one of well, actually, one of the re- up, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we were talking about the swine flu and the mistakes it made because it was so fast in getting the getting the untested vaccine out there. Within a matter of ten years, because that was nineteen seventy seven. Within ten years, the LGBTQ community was essentially saying, "This thing is killing us. Forget about waiting. We've got people that will volunteer for it already." What what are we gonna? What's the worst that's gonna happen to us? Die? We're gonna die anyway. Let's get moving. Yeah, which that that was also uh, you know a common sentiment at the time for cancer treatments. Yeah. Uh, but I think that so uh, Chelsea, I don't know if you know this, but it, was there? Uh, we talked a lot about like uh, really disheartening uh, reactions to public health where people refused to. Uh, recognize the, the disease or you know refuse to get the treatments but was there ever so much a, ever such a uh, large uh, contingent of people who were like please 
do this this research, give us this treatment. Mm. Um, like a pro science <laughs> version <laughs> of the, the pro vaccinator vaccination crowd, I guess. Or at least, like again, with the case of you know, with the case of AIDS, a community that was so des that was so well desperate to stop the to stop the spread that they said that they essentially said we understand the risks, we'll take them anyway because honestly, the alternative's not much worse. Nineteen eighty four, the White House. And then Errol Flynn and I punched Charlie Chaplin in the mouth. And that's how I stopped communism, Nancy. Yes, dear, I know. Now, we have a meeting with some doctor named Perrin Solving. Do you want to talk about... Well, you know. A sequel to Bedtime for Bonzo? No, that thing we don't speak of. She doesn't know where babies come from? No, the other thing. You know... With a... Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Well, let's let her in right away. Thank you for meeting with me, Mr. President. I'm Dr. Karen Solving. I manage a CDC clinic in Greenwich Village. I want to talk to you about possible solutions to the AIDS crisis and... Ah. um, Possible solutions to the... Ah, 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 ah. I'm sorry, what's happening? Well, Dr. Solving, you seem to insist on mentioning a certain disease that the president hasn't publicly acknowledged. I... what? Whether he acknowledges it or not... I'm not hearing this. Dr. Solving, I think you'll find that we run a nice government for nice people. We have a policy of referring to the matter you're discussing as the lavender flu or bad blood. I'm not sure we should call a disease this serious by such inconsequential names. We could call it God's wrath. Let's stick with bad blood. Okay, so the uh, bad blood is disproportionately affecting gay men. Just language, dear. We run a respectable government for respectable people. I can't say gay men. What am I supposed to call them? Rock Hudson's friends? Yes. Okay, you're bringing up a great point. Your old friend Rock Hudson is very sick right now, and you have to do something about it. Old Rocky? <laughs> no, that's that's just a cold that's caused him to lose 80 pounds. I, for one, think we should get a bigger name if we're going the celebrity route. Yeah, Rock Hudson hasn't worked in years. Uh, is Cary Grant available? Listen, we're not casting a movie. Real people are dying, and they need the government's help. Well, poor people are dying. Maybe we need a few more Cary Grants in the picture. This is America. If the poor want to catch this disease, they can pull themselves up by their blood straps. Sir, someone surviving this without serious treatment would be magic. You should ask Nancy about that. She's always looking at the moon and using magic to make our decisions. Now, Ronnie, I told you, astrology isn't magic. It's policy. This is madness, and it seems pretty clear that you're ignoring this disease because it's mainly affecting groups that vote Democrat. Rock Hudson's friends, as you say, but also hemophiliacs, Haitians. What? Haitians is a bad word now? No, no, dear. He's just never heard it. Oh, my God. What does he call them? (laughs) Toussaint's people. That was a lot less racist than I thought. I'm pretty sure they're Toussaint's people. I mean, somebody owns them. There it is. Okay, so the uh, bad blood is disproportionately affecting Rock Hudson's friends, as well as Toussaint's people, the poor, and um, Mrs. Reagan, is there a euphemism you'd prefer for intravenous drug users? Hmm, how about junky scum or worthless gutter trash? Oh, Jesus. Well, you're not making much of a case. This disease only seems to be affecting the dregs of society. That's not true. It can hit anyone. Think about the little boy in Indiana. Oh, we simply adore the Whites. You've met Ryan White and his family? Who? Okay, that does it. This is preposterous and racist even by your standards. The president won't even say AIDS or HIV, but he can joke into an open microphone about starting World War III. Who was joking? You people are two-faced hypocrites. 
you know what? One day you're going to be asked if you did one single thing to combat the deadliest disease of your time. And what are you going to do then? Same thing we always do. What's that? Just say no. So, Sylvia, are you saying that uh, the U.S. government's response to the AIDS crisis was a little slow, perhaps? Perhaps flaccid. <laughs> I was I was unaware we had a response to the AIDS crisis. Well, that's because we had a president who never used the word AIDS. Two presidents, and Bush H-W-T. basically said, "You you know you you engage in certain behaviors, you you take on certain consequences." Mm-hmm. Certain behaviors like getting a blood transfusion or oh yeah. The dentist. That was. I mean, that's why we have all of the cleaning of dental equipment that we have now because they found that was a significant transmitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I remember uh, in elementary school they showed us a, a health video one time, uh, and it was like a little cartoon of Pandora opening up of the box and releasing all the evils into the world, and at the very bottom of the box was AIDS. And then she, shook it, she, she shook it out and then added uh, AIDS. So that, I thought that was hope. That must be right. <laughs> we replaced a hope with AIDS. Uh, and that was and that was a Department of Defense school. So uh, that's government propaganda right there. Cool. I, I remember learning a lot about Ryan White, but I don't remember how anyone in office responded to that because it was like, well, here's a child who got it from a blood transfusion. How would anyone have criticized that? I had a number of You'd people. You'd be surprised. Oh, yeah. It really? did not want him in their school because there was no real idea of how AIDS was transmitted. Well, I remember that. Yeah, I recall people always say, you know, the, the scuttlebutt being... Well, these people are, you know, almost like rabid dogs. They may attack you and, you know, maybe they'll lick your food or they'll lick your utensils and then that's how they'll get it to you. Or you could get it from doorknobs or sharing a toilet seat. Yes. Or as uh, Pat Robinson basically said, they would put the, the used AIDS needles in coin slots, in pay phones. So when you went to get change, you would get stuck by the needles. Mm-hmm. And mosquito bites. People believe that uh, mosquito yes. bites yes, I that too. someone else, then you would get AIDS from that. I mean, it was I mean, crazy. It was oh, a there, crazy, crazy time. There were literal negotiations you had to have with anybody you dated. Whether you were, whether you were gay or not, because there was also, was it uh, Paul Michael, Michael Glazer's wife that got it from a blood transfusion? So suddenly, during the pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. During a, and so suddenly, oh my God, you can get it that way, then you just had to go through this whole... This no, it whole, really did although it, to be I fair. was doing volunteer work at a free clinic when Magic came out and said that he was HIV positive, Phones were ringing off the hook for people who wanted to be tested. Although you, know, you should still be having those conversations with your sexual yeah. partners. Yeah. Yes. That's, yes. Let's not stop that. Yeah, right. <laughs> because that, that has become... The DB comedy endorses safe sex. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And also safe sex during this time of corona. Buckle up before you buckle down, children. Uh, <laughs> We want to talk about Ebola briefly. Yeah, I think that is something where we actually kind of had that right balance of government reaction to a potential pandemic. God damn you, Obama. How dare you make (laughs) us think government could work for a hot second? Well, but are we specifically talking about for the coat for COVID? Are we specifically talking about the uh, the Obama era Ebola or the outbreak era Ebola? Hmm. Uh, the, the, the late seventies versus the Obama era. Mm. Well, yeah, they, I mean, was, they made a whole movie about that one. Yes. Well, uh, no, Cuba Gooding Jr. No. Uh, well, the thing about <laughs> Ebola is that it's you don't survive it, but it's kind of hard to get. Yeah. That is a bloodborne illness. You can be in the room with somebody who has Ebola, and as long as you don't lick the blood from their hands you're probably going to survive. I mean, right. it doesn't Types help that fluids. it doesn't help that their blood is spewing out their eyes. Well, yeah. yeah but, you know. I'm Griff Manley and this is Shut Up and Listen. So shut up and listen.
while I explain to you that Barack Ebola, I mean Barack Obama, sorry, not sorry, is plotting to kill millions of Americans with a virus for a preview of the plague that Barack Ebola, oops, Obama, is going to let destroy the country. I'll talk to Dr. Alice Wawa with the Emergency Operations Center in Nigeria. Welcome to Shut Up and Listen, Dr. Wawa. It's Wiwa. And thank you, Mr. Manley, for allowing me to continue fulfilling my mission of public education. Yours and mine. You are speaking English pretty good. That shouldn't be surprising. It is my first language, after all. Ha! Huh. Wish more Americans could say that. So, Dr. Wee uh, Wee, are you a medical doctor or a witch doctor? Sir, it is Wiwa, and I have a degree in epidemiology from the College of Medicine at the University of Bennett. Uh, that doesn't answer my question, but moving on, can you tell our listeners how horrible it is to see so many dead bodies piling up in the streets of Nigeria because of Ebola? No, sir, I cannot. Dead bodies are not piling up on the streets of Nigeria. Sorry, didn't mean to be culturally insensitive. What's it like to see so many dead bodies piling up on the dirt roads of Nigeria because of Ebola? Mr. Madley, I live in Largos, a city of 21 million people. My home is a condominium on the 20th floor of a high-rise. The reason I cannot tell you about dead bodies piling up in the streets is that there is no Ebola outbreak in Nigeria. Whoa! Does yellow cake give you immunity? That's sure something they aren't telling us in the lamestream media. Sir, that incident occurred in Niger, not Nigeria. We share a river and a border, but nothing else. Nigeria has been able to avoid an epidemic because of contact tracing. Is that some kind of tribal dam? Oh, Lord, give me strength. No, Mr. Manley, it is a system by which one tracks and monitors people who have contracted a disease. The Emergency Operations Center implemented it after a polio epidemic with the assistance of President Jonathan. President Jonathan who? I am not telling a knock-knock joke, Mr. Manley. The president of Nigeria is named Goodluck Jonathan. Didn't he win the uh, Kentucky Derby last year? I do not know what that means, but in the interest of time, I will just assume it's offensive. Anyway, when Ebola victims arrived in Nigeria from Liberia on July 20th, 2014, public health officials were notified immediately. So the patient was taken straight from Lagos Airport to a hospital. Uh, then what did you do? Lock down the whole damn country like you're supposed to during a plague? That was not necessary because we contacted every individual whom this unfortunate man might have infected and monitored their health for the next several months. Anyone who displayed Ebola symptoms was ordered immediately into isolation. Isolation, huh? Not a bad idea. I wish uh, Barack Obama or is that Ebola would do that to this uh, Carrie uh, Hickox broad who just came back from Africa all loaded with Ebola. I have heard of this woman. She was a nurse who treated Ebola victims in Sierra Leone. Is she sick? Who knows? When she got back from Sierra Nevada, Barack Obama didn't have her arrested, so Jersey Governor Chris Christie had to stick her in a tent outside the airport. Hmm. As governor, isn't Mr. Christie more responsible for the safety of his region than a federal official like President Obama? No, then he messed up pretty bad. He let the chick go back to Maine after four days. If Ms. Hickox did not become ill within four days of returning from Sierra Leone, she's probably not infectious. Hmm, geez, Dr. Wowie, you really must be a witch doctor. 
I guess you've never heard of people who carry the disease but aren't sick. They're called asymmetrical carriers. My name is Dr. Wiwa, and the word is asymptomatic. And even if Nurse Hickox is carrying the virus, Mr. Manless... I'm manly. If you insist. Anyway, Mr. Manmade... Are you planning to exchange bodily fluids with this woman? I wouldn't mind, based on the pictures in the paper. But now, I don't want to get near her. Imagine her disappointment. As long as people do not come into physical contact with Nurse Hickox, they are safe. The primary vector of the disease is the ritual practice of cleansing the body of a deceased loved one who had the disease. So you see, Ebola is spread through bodily fluids. Wait, like AIDS? Then why is everyone making it sound so scary? AIDS didn't kill as many people as they said it would. Pandemic projections, unfortunately, are not like football betting pools, Mr. Manscape. They are preventative as well as predictive. Our government prepared a public service campaign to educate people if the Ebola virus became more widespread in Nigeria. Sounds like uh, Barack Obama could learn a few lessons from your President Johnny. Good luck. I do not believe that President Obama and President Jonathan's politics are compatible. President Jonathan is running a corrupt business, pro-business administration and has signed laws that outlaw same-sex marriage. Sounds like my kind of guy. Maybe I should uh, move to uh, Nigeria. If you do, there would be a luxury condominium in Largos available for immediate rental. Thanks for the tip. Anyway... Thank you to our guest, Dr. Wu Wu. I'm Griff Manley. This has been Shut Up and Listen. So that they end up doing, trying to revert to, oh, like silly PR pushes, like like this like world like the swine flu I'm not swine flu the Spanish flu having the weird goofy sloganeerings yeah. so, I, I do like the way by the end of the war they had just kind of given up on the cutesy sayings and we're like listen spitting equals death <laughs> screw you guys wear your mask <laughs> yep now, are we there yet? Are we are we at the uh, abandoned catchphrase moment? Or... <laughs> I mean, I, oh, I think we'd, we would have had to try catchphrases at first. That's yes. true. We should generate some rhymes. <laughs> Can someone make one for the 1793 yellow fever epidemic? That would be great. Thanks. No. Let's make that retroactive. If you're in yellow, you're a dying fellow. Don't, don't be silly. Get the hell out of Philly. <laughs> if, if you're yellow, let it mellow. Oh. <laughs> don't say hello to someone who's yellow. Oh, God. Oh. No. Well, <laughs> Come on, people. Ideas. I need ideas. This Chinese virus is killing my ratings. Sir, you have to stop calling it. The- Why do you people get so worked up? Lighten up, Debbie. Ah, it's Dr. Burks. Sheesh, fine. Dr. Debbie. It was the Spanish flu back in the day, and that wasn't racist. Actually, it was. Whatever. That flu had a better brand. How can we repackage this Kung flu? (coughs) Fine. Coronavirus. That's why I brought in my top PR team to help figure out how to spin this thing. You, Silent Mike, the new girl. (laughs) It's Kaylee, Mr. President. Katie. I thought that was Steve Miller's squeeze. Uh, The one that caught the flu? No, 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 no. Kaylee. Kaylee McEnany, your new press secretary. Do I need to be here for this? You're on my team. Everyone on my team is here to make me look good. No, I'm here to save lives. Yeah, yeah, Florence Nightingale. You're here because I need a lady scientist. Blonde, female. That fits my image. Granted, you're not a babe like Katie here. Excuse me? It's Kaylee. Whatever. Listen, we have a crisis. These numbers are terrible. 
I'm so relieved to finally hear you say that, sir. I agree. The death rates are horrendous. Death rates. No, no, no. We'll just stop testing and those will go down. I'm talking about my poll numbers. You guys got to do something to bolster them. Why don't we just stop polling? Well, there's a thought. Oh, better yet, just stop voting. If they don't vote, they can't fake elect Sleepy Joe. Someone write that down. I did not hear that. Okay, Kaylin, what have you got? Well, 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 I have some really nifty ideas. I actually did a little research on previous pandemics. You're kidding. I didn't think people were in this were allowed to do any book reading. Did you know that they had catchy little slogans for the Spanish flu back in 1918? Slogans. It's actually not a bad idea. It's not? No, 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 no. Slogans could be simple, memorable ways to encourage people to take care of themselves. Boring. And to listen to their president. Better. I like slogans. I invented you fired, you know. Mm, I don't think you... I did. Well, anyway, there was this one. Cover up each cough and sneeze. If you don't, you'll spread disease. Lame. Okay. How about this one? Obey the laws and wear the gauze. Protect your jaws from septic paws. What? <laughs> Hilarious, right? Seriously, that was a real slogan. But septic paws? Well, hey, how about coronavirus? You're fired. Well, sir, these slogans are meant for the public to get them to follow rules, practice social distancing, wear masks, that sort of thing. They weren't addressed to the virus itself. Hey, who is the marketing genius here? Me or some ancient bozo who probably never even ghost wrote a book? Woodrow Wilson was president of Princeton University and he is... Boring. Ah, how great could he have been? He didn't even get his university named after him. Strangle me with my own scarf. So, what rhymes with coronavirus? Iris? Wyrus? Miley Cyrus? Damn it. I need a poet. Who do I know? Can someone get Kanye West on the phone? Wait, he's running against me. Screw that guy. Well, I have one. Uh, Many tragedies before have tried us, but none so deadly as coronavirus. Gone. Okay. How about we all need to social distance, even, 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 even when you're with your mistress. Um, I don't think that's entirely appropriate. How about I shouldn't even have to ask. Don't be dumb. Just wear a mask. For the last time, I'm not wearing any dorky mask. It makes me look stupid. Oh, don't say it. Don't say it. Just don't say it. Don't say it. Uh, all right. I have one. Keep your hands and surfaces clean. Our greatest enemy is COVID-19. Greatest enemy. Except for the Democrats and the fake news and Antifa. And light bulbs. And I gave up hate and malaria for this. Okay, how about this one? Coronavirus is totally fake. So go out and buy a Trump steak. That's terrific. I'll create up some posters for your next presser. See? See how easy this is? Why does the fake media keep complaining that I'm not doing anything about this pandemic? Gosh, I haven't a clue, sir. Which? You know that Reagan was so responsive to the AIDS epidemic. Oh, God, yes. Mm-hmm. So, so much. But there is also a conspiracy theory out there that Anthony Fauci has created an AIDS vaccine, but he sent it to Europe because he wants to make more money on treatment because he has this deal that he cut with the, uh, with the, with big pharma who also created COVID because it's actually a man-made American made virus. Just you can't say well, the newest one is that <laughs> created F- FYI. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, like take up your mind. Is it Chinese? Did Fauci make I, it? Come on. People, I, I feel like right. Also, the reason that that couldn't be true is because it hinges on something American work, uh, something American made working really well. <laughs> I, just, oh, yeah. I, just, I just always say, do conspiracy theorists ever stop and think about just how exhausting all these things are? Also, like, be, sure, be sure to edit out that we said that the virus that COVID originated in Kansas or else this podcast will be weaponized by the right and non-believers in science to did say- I say- Did I say Kansas? 
I, <laughs> I did not say Kansas. If someone said it. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I'm just going to list a bunch of places. Uh, COVID-19 COVID came from Canada. Uh, COVID-19 was originally invented by Walmart. Uh, it was COVID-19 was originally invented by the lizard men who control the Illuminati. Mm. But that was just to destroy the other lizard men who control the Bilderberg group. <laughs> or the Bilderberg workshop. I can never okay, remember which one. <laughs> You're getting closer and closer to Jay-Z, my man. You better be careful. <laughs> No, I still like the uh, the idea that dogs started the coronavirus so we could all stay home. That's wholesome. Yeah, I that's, like that. Yeah, that that's is cute. true. I like Very that. Cute. Dear Dr. Fauci, we accept the fact that we have been captured in your lab and forced to live in petri dishes in order for you to dissect our true natures, whatever our true natures are. But we think you're crazy to think a few experiments will make you understand us or stop us. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions. You see us as a cold, a flu, a contagion, a pandemic, and a killer. Correct? That's the way we saw each other when you tried to start your experiments. All right, viruses. You're here at the CDC because you're all troublemakers. You're not leaving here. I took care of AIDS. I will master each and every one of you. I don't even know why I'm here. Too good for us, COVID. Hey, you leave her out of this Spanish flu. You gonna do something about it, Swiney? Oh yeah, anytime you're ready, pal. Guys, stop. Enough. Let's try something different. Instead of just sitting there, how about you all write down your codes and your genetics and you tell me how you work? How about I tell you to make me? Well, that's another 10 years in the cryogenic freezer, Spanish flu. Ooh. Ooh, 10 more. I'm free the next decade, too. Done. Stop it. Keep going. I can do this until you're cured. Nobody's cured the Spanish flu in over a century, sir. Start spilling your guts. I'll be back after another one of those goddamn press conferences. If he talks about drinking disinfectant again, I swear. Disinfectant can actually kill us viruses. No shit. Do we have to do what he says? I've been kicking around here for over a hundred years. What do you think? I think you're bullshitting. Oh yeah, swine? You were a joke of a flu. People hate vaccines because of you. You were shit. I was the real deal. Ha, you with the real deal? Do I stutter? Vaccines! What? I eat vaccines. You're weird, Ebola. You're the reason we're here, COVID. She's got a point. She's got a point. Oh, you are such a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby influenza. But he's not wrong. It's not my fault people didn't see me coming. They did in other places, you know. If people want to see what I'm like, go ask someone in Korea. That's a little racist. Jesus Christ. You think you're better than us? You're not. You are just like all of us. Stop. Oh, are you sad, Princess COVID? Stop. You're so stuck up. Stop it now. What's the ruckus? Can you describe the ruckus, sir? Get writing. Give me your secrets now. Mr. President, you may want to move that sun lamp. It's not my fault, you know. What's not your fault? Everyone getting sick. You are a virus. We all are. It's kind of what we do. Says who? Biology. But it's not like we killed anyone because we meant to. Like that matters. But it should. But it doesn't, does it? Our parent cells made us this way. They made us mutate and spread. Do you think any of us want to be here? Do you? Do you? We're all going to be just like our parent cells, aren't we? I'm not. Dude, influences like you keep coming up year after year after year. 
Your parents don't stop and neither do you. I hate my parents' cells. So do I. Join the club. I'm not going to be like them. You don't have a choice, princess. So what are we going to do? Just give him what he wants? What's that? A cure. Really? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. Why are you all laughing? Because we know. Look at us. Look at how different we all are. He thinks he can cure us. Oh. 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 <laughs> can you write something up, Flu? Oh, yeah. Are you ready? Uh, what's this? Dear Dr. Fauci, we accept the fact that we had to sacrifice spreading in the general population for whatever it is that we do, but we think you're crazy to make us tell you how we work or how to stop us. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each of us is infectious. And dangerous. And mysterious. And hard to stop. And lethal in our own way. And it's up to you to figure us out. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Culture Club. There's one thing I'd like to uh, circle back to uh, sort of earlier from the disease discussion make a quick Chelsea uh, looks like she's about to faint uh, that, that we can that we can that we can cir- we can uh, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's normal. Uh, so we can insert that in later uh but Chelsea uh just how many of the early American presidents did end up dying of intestinal disease just because they were living in DC <laughs> I mean so many of them even the ones that didn't die in office ended up dying a year later uh, uh, Taylor wanna... Taylor died. Uh, Washington, exactly, Washington, Tyler oh. eventually died. Uh, Both died of a uh, cannibalism. I mean, uh, <laughs> William Henry, William Henry Harrison, everyone's favorite. Oh, too soon, gone too soon. <laughs> um, I I don't know, but I want I want a graph of that. I want actually, I really do want an infographic of like how each president left this world. Hmm. That would be great. Thanks. <laughs> you know how each president left this world. Please tell me that your skit about McKinley has to do with the fact that he was assassinated and the x-ray that could have saved his life was around the corner from him. Oh, we'll get to that. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I like speak. It. Hey, I have the list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> George Washington died of a acute epiglottitis so that wasn't one of them uh thomas jefferson of kidney disease john adams was heart failure james monroe was tuberculosis so that's one uh madison was heart failure william henry harrison uh intestinal disease enteric fever jackson from chronic dropsy and heart failure quincy adams died of a stroke poke got had cholera so that's another one uh, Zachary Taylor from Too Much Ice Cream or murder. Uh, <laughs> J- John Tyler from a stroke. Van Buren from asthma. Abraham Lincoln for some reason. Uh, <laughs> a cold head cold. And then let's see. Uh, Pierce died from uh, st- uh, stomach inflammation. That's good. Really uh, we could take Lincoln's death. Stroke. Stroke, stroke. Stroke. Septic shock. Throat cancer. Stroke. But, you know, who'd have thought that a bunch of old guys getting a really high-stress job would all stroke out? <laughs> Bright's disease for um, Chester Arthur. I mean, I'm not a doctor. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsey, we need to modify that phrase now to, I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a medical doctor. Take it from somebody who's heard that joke about- way too often, yes. I'm guessing. I'm not an MD. I'm not an MD. One of my absolute favorite gifts that my cohort has been sending around uh, now that we've all graduated is this uh, cartoon of this woman saying, ah, help, my husband's having a heart attack. Someone call a doctor. And then this guy walks up, he goes, I'm a doctor. And she goes, help him, he's dying. And he just looks down and goes, death is a social construction and walks away. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written and produced by Gina Bucola, Sandy Bakowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Joey, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. This episode's sketches were performed by Sandy Bakowski, Brad Davidson, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Joey, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. This episode's guest historians were Chelsea Deneau and James McRae. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production of The Electables by Joseph Fedarko. The Electables concept created by Patrick J. Riley. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donations page at fracturedatlas.com, the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information about DB Comedy and the Electables, visit dbcomedychicago.com or follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading.